Hello and welcome to the Taste Uber Music Podcast. I'm Diana Lynn. After a 40-year career in corporate America, I took a huge U-turn and became a volunteer DJ on 90.1 FM KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. Since 2010, I've been the host, programmer, and engineer of a weekly Americana Roots music show, The Tasty Brew. With this podcast, I'll be sharing conversations with artists and music industry insiders with the goal of entertaining and educating the listening audience, all while giving a voice to the music makers that are underserved or ignored by mainstream media. This episode of the Tasty Brew Music Podcast is a conversation my dear friend Art White and KKFI listener and supporter Joel Weir and I had with multi-instrumentalist and songmaster Daryl Scott. Daryl had just released the epic Couchville Sessions project and was playing his very first show ever in Kansas City. I remembered it as a solid conversation, but until I revisited it for the first time since it occurred, I had not envisioned it as a podcast, but rather something I would somehow, someway play on my morning radio show. That didn't ever happen. I'm so happy conversations like these I've had over the years are going to be able to see the light of day. It's giving me the courage and desire to turn my creative energy in this direction for this podcast. This particular conversation wouldn't have happened without the assistance of Art White, who recorded and preserved it on an old iPhone, and Joel Weir, who was instrumental in getting us the opportunity. Art had brought a cooler full of crappie in he had caught in the pond on his farm, up to Knucklehead Saloon Kitchen. We cooked it all up, added some potato salad and other fixins, and had us a community meal with Daryl and his family before we recorded this conversation, and subsequently Daryl's show in the Gospel Lounge. Daryl waxes eloquently about Peter Rowan, John Cowan, and Newgrass Revival, his gig with Robert Plant in the Band of Joy, the legendary Guy Clark, his own father's obsession with Hank Williams Sr., and many other topics related to leading a lyrical life. This man has written hundreds of songs, some of the best songs in the Americana Music Songbook. You'll Never Leave Harlan Alive, River Take Me, It's a Great Day to Be Alive, and of course his co-write with Guy Clark, Out in the Parking Lot. I'm so honored to have been able to have this conversation and to share it with you today. Daryl Scott, now that's Americana. Why in the hell have you never been to Kansas City? I haven't figured that out. Never had a booking, you know? I mean, just never came up. Band of Joy didn't come here, I don't guess. No. Probably got close. St. Louis. Yeah, that might have been as close as we got. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I know preliminarily about your background in country music, and your dad was, was into country music, yeah. and you've been a session player for a long time, multi instrument yeah. I don't really want to talk about the past so much okay. tonight, if that's okay. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, this new CD, even though it's got older songs on it, from uh-huh. did you do that on purpose? I mean, can that or have that many songs in the can so that you could release them at your leisure when you wanted to? Yeah. That was by design? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's, that's very smart. But, I mean, I didn't know exactly when, but that it would be released, but I knew that I would. So the real story behind it is uh, I recorded about, it's more mad than what, what you just thought it might have been. Mm-hmm. It's even more so. I recorded about 45 songs mm-hmm. uh, um, over two sessions, two three-week-long sessions, uh, 2001 and 2002. With the same band, the same living room, the same engineer, the same everything. 45 songs. Uh, the first album I released out of those 45 was uh, called Theater of the Unheard. Mm-hmm. And then the second first. album out of it was called uh, Invisible Man. And then there was a third album, this one, of songs, 
that I, I loved as well as the other two, uh, but I didn't put them out then. I went on to other things, you know. I, I, I probably put out another five or six records since then. And I always remembered this one, you know, uh, of this Couchville Sessions. Never forgot it for a moment uh, and just was waiting for the right time. And what spawned the right time was getting off the road for a year and a half. So I'm just kind of now getting back to playing on the road. And that year and a half off the road got me uh, to move from Nashville out into the country. So I live on, you know. Some acreage. Yes, a big acreage on the Cumberland Plateau. That that coincided with this year and a half off. And the other thing I did of a, you know, a larger nature was uh, uh, get back to the Couchville Sessions record and finish that up. Uh, and one of the catalysts was uh, Bill Payne, uh, the keyboard player from Little Feet mm -hmm. and on and on of tons of great pop and rock, uh, you know, records for the last 40 years. And so I got Bill to play on everything from that old session. And that brought in, you know, um, another influence. Uh, and uh, that got me started into finishing this record because I had the time to finish it. I wouldn't imagine that you have any trouble getting session play. I mean, players to play with you. Is that yeah, because I, of your own session work playing with everybody else and you all have this fraternity where you call upon each other when you want to do your own projects? You know, I guess it would be some of that. But, uh, yeah, you know, I've, I play with some of the best musicians on earth. Yeah, you do. I really do. <laughs> How that happens, I'm not exactly sure, other than I'm a player too, and I know I know how to treat ourselves. Uh, for example, the sessions are at home. They're not in a sequestered studio mm -hmm. where that person's hidden over there and this yeah. one's over there. Sterile. Yeah, we're in a room about the size of this room that we're in, and the drums are there, the bass is there, I'm here, and someone else, you know, the, uh, the electric guitar's over here. No headphones, all mics are open, we're leaking into each other's mics, and I'm singing the final vocal right now, and all the solos that are going on are happening right now. So it's all live and not multi-tracked? Well, it's multi-tracked, but not... Recorded not, that way. Yeah, it's recorded, you know, in, I don't know how many tracks, so it would be 16 or 12 mm -hmm. or something, uh, but we're leaking into each other's mics, and we're playing... The solo that's being played is the solo that's on the record. So it's this funny thing of it's, it's live, but it has a, uh, a safety net uh, in case, you know, if something did happen, uh, like I missed a word, uh, of, and I thought it was important enough to have the correct word in there, I'd find a way to overdub that one word. Uh, into the situation. Is it true that you don't forget the lyrics to your own songs? So far, for the most, as a general statement, yeah. That's a real gift. Yeah, it or is. Or maybe a curse, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think it's a gift. I, I mean, it had, I, and, uh, yeah, I can't get it out of my head, actually. The, the truth is, uh, you know, if, if I start on the first line, I know what the, the second line just falls there. And, I mean, I took a year and a half off and did not sing these songs during that year and a half. And then I'm, I'm right out into shows and now recalling songs I haven't played in years. Uh, and it's, I can't explain it other than it's just there. 
Uh, well, and when it's, it's not there... It's great at our age to be able to remember <laughs> the words to the songs like that. Yeah. And when it's not there, I think it'll be a significant observation on my part mm-hmm. to see, like, oh, this isn't there like it used to be. Okay, now what? And uh, I, I guess can. I'll... Yeah. I can. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Lucinda's oh, oh, been doing it for oh, yeah. ever now. That's all fine. I, if, and I shift to that, that'll be fine. Yeah. But, yeah, so far... These things are just inside me, you know, inside my head. I, I, uh, I can't, so far, I can't not have them there. They're just there. I don't work at it. They're just there. I don't know how to explain it. Well, I'm a little late to the Daryl Scott party. Uh-huh. I um, started my broadcast career at 59 and mm-hmm. joined, the AMA, joined the AMAs and went to Nashville. And I don't recall, you'll have to correct me whether it was 2010 or 2012 on Crooked Road had just been released? Probably 2010. And so I went to the AMAs, to the Ryman, for the award ceremony, and uh-huh. the Band of Joy was kind of the surprise guest yeah, for the evening. Yeah, we played like three or four or five songs yeah, at and the every- end of the awards. And yeah. everybody was freaking out, you know, like, wow, who is that? And so we're all trying to figure out who the players are or whatever, and that's when I first saw you uh-huh. and found out that you were having, I think, a showcase that I went to at the Mercy Lounge later. Right. And started talking to your merch girl about the Crooked Road CD. And right. that was my introduction to you. Then after okay. doing a little research, I found out, of course, you'd been a session player for a long time and mm-hmm. had written some of the songs that we all know that yeah. other people had done. So I'm yeah. a little late to the Daryl Scott Oh, that's party. okay. I am, too. Um, <laughs> I am, too. Like I said, I started my broadcast career at 59. Yeah. Have you ever gotten your own set at Merle Fest yet? Oh, yeah. You have? Oh, yeah. Because one of the interviews, I was I, one of the friends from WNCW that had some age on it. You uh-huh. were still waiting to have your own set at Merle Fest that you've been playing with other people there. Sam right. Bush's band or whatever, right. but I, you hadn't gotten I, your own set yet. Yeah, that might have been true like for about two years. So from about 96 to 98. But yeah, no, right, you know, I'd say within the first two years of playing Merle Fest, I had my own set. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, that's just the case. Have I, you ever been to Winfield? The Walnut one time, Valley? yeah, one time. You know, sixteen years ago. Um, Art here has been going to Winfield for over thirty years, and one of the things that you have in common, I'm sure, is the new grass revival being your gateway drug. <laughs> to, oh yeah. To other music. No, it's true. No, the new grass was central. Yeah, I play them all the time on my show, and a lot of people, of course, have never heard of them because they've been broken up for a long, long, long time. Yeah, but, but they, they made a huge difference. Yeah. They, they, uh, they really were, I mean, honestly, I was not, and kind of still am not, a giant, you know, bluegrass aficionado. I'm just not. Um, but the next generation, like John Hartford, mm-hmm. Peter Rowan, mm-hmm. Newgrass folks, those were my, that's how I got into bluegrass. Uh, for example, I, I was more influenced by Jerry uh, Garcia as a banjo player than, say, Earl Scruggs as a banjo player. So I came in in a back door into, and I'm not bluegrass. I love bluegrass. But you've charted with bluegrass with Tim, right? Yeah, yeah. But you don't have to be a full tilt anything to I mean I don't have to have studied blues in order to mm-hmm. if I played a blues thing tonight or 
Hank Williams's blues, you know, and I grew up on that. Um, but uh, I'm not a full-fledged bluegrasser, and anyone who is a full-fledged bluegrasser <laughs> would know what I just said is true, <laughs> right? Uh, but but those the second-generation bluegrass guys, I, th I think we've all had a good time playing with each other. Peter Rowan, uh, John Cowan, Sam Bush, Tim O'Brien. You know, that next generation who did, they did know bluegrass. I did not, by comparison. But we had a common language. Uh, all of them, and it for wasn't... the most part, are still playing. Oh, yeah, and they're still tearing it up. And really, really good. That's what I love yeah. about Americana music. It's so intergenerational. Yeah. And kids that are in their 20s are killing it. Yeah. But folks in our generation are still putting out great Absolutely. Music and winning awards and Absolutely. selling records like crazy. Yeah. Well, Peter, Peter's on uh, Midnight Moonlight, isn't he, on yeah. Capshill? Yeah, and he wrote it, too, yeah, which, was, which was, I've loved that fantastic song since, song. you know, Old and in the Way. And uh, that song of Peter's is just one of my go-to songs. Uh, and so when, when it came time to, you know, work on that song that I tracked 14 years ago, I had one thing in mind, which was get Peter Rowan to sing with me on that song. And so I called Peter, and I've, of course, gracious Peter Rowan, you know, sang on it. And then I thought, who should do the third part above Peter? There's only one guy, John Cowan. And so there's my little, you know, John Cowan, Peter Rowan moment is uh, having those two great guys, you know, who I love their music. I love their music and have for a long time and, and and so I call them up and they sing on the record you know um, they're gracious that way you know I'm very lucky the people I get to hang around and be able to call and, and all that I'm in a very lucky place in the moonlight in the midnight in the about your songs being covered by other folks and, and obtaining or attaining a lot of success with your I think song. it's great. I You're mean, okay with once they're out there in their ether, they belong to somebody else and or a bunch of somebody else's yeah. is even better. Yeah. Because we I mean I feel proprietary of the songs that I love. That's my favorite song, so you feel some ownership of it when it speaks to you like that. I'm hoping yeah. I didn't bring any Kleenex tonight, so I'm hoping that you don't make me cry. <laughs> No, you better go get yourself. I think I probably ought to get me some Kleenex um, because I just, you know, I, I remembered when when you were up on stage at the bandage, and I thought that's a big, scary-looking, lumberjack-looking kind of guy. And then I heard you sing, and it was like an angel. I thought, wow, yeah. what, a, what a voice! Oh, cool, thank you. Um, the playlist tonight is it going to be mostly? You have, I have one? no idea. I don't have a playlist. Guy Clark said he never did. Claims he never did. Yeah, yeah. And, I never knew a Guy to have a, a set list. Yeah. yeah, of all the times I played with him. Uh, and he wouldn't even call out the song either. He'd just start. And then as a player, of course, I know which song that is. And Or even if you don't, by, you just fall right in. 
Yeah, some of those things don't need to be talked about. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, or agreed upon. Um, I know in certain production and presentation, you know, everything is really, you know, there are things that need to be real sharp, you know, for light cues or sound cues mm. or mm-hmm. things, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, roots music, you know, doesn't really it's have whatever to have you're that feeling. Stuff. Yeah. And I think, I don't know, since this is your first show in Kansas City solo, I'm kind of anxious to see who's over there in the audience, and do you take requests, or are you... I would, absolutely, you know, some nights, I, I did a night uh, maybe two weeks ago, uh, where I played there two, two nights in a row, and the first night I did whatever I did, and then the second night, you know, I, I literally had uh, a box where people put in... Uh, title whatever they wanted to hear and I literally spent the entire night going to the box and and reading it and and playing the song well that probably helps it keep it fresh for you and if you have this total recall of the lyrics there's not anything to really be afraid about that yeah that's that's the way I feel about it forgetting the lyrics I mean there's some songs I have to admit I haven't done since I recorded them uh, and so if I recorded them 12 years ago, that probably means I haven't done it in 12 You're years. You're not going to ask him to do something that's 12 years old that he hasn't done, are you? He, don't told know. he, may, not, he may not know how if I have done it or not. I don't know. <laughs> River Take Me is one of oh, my yeah, favorites. Oh, yeah, I do that a lot. I do that kind of all the time. Do you have, I'm kind of hogging his time here, do you, do you have any specific questions that you want um, to make sure we get in here? Well, I, we kind of covered with Mo- Moonlight Midnight. Uh, yeah. The other covers, is there... What was the big push? I mean, Big River, Loretta. Uh. Yeah, and some of those uh, in, in Big River and Loretta, I mean, of course, I love Towns Van Dan, of course. Uh, I love Johnny Cash, of course. And sometimes on my records, I feel they get real thick. Uh, the characters are extra thick uh, and full of worldly things and sometimes dark-natured or, some, you know, uh, shadow-style stuff. And so sometimes I feel like a record needs a lightness to balance out, oh, that was heavy, or we've had three heavy songs in a row, please help us, you know. And then I'll throw in something lighter, you know. So Big River is just a groove, fun, you know, bear down and get it. And then Loretta by Towns, Towns is known to be the heaviest cat uh, on earth in terms of songs uh, and heavy and dark character and you know, existential style stuff. Uh, but Loretta is like one of his lightest songs. And it's just, you know, playful, light. Uh, and and so I, I picked, picked uh, you know, that to balance out a It's much like programming record. a show, I think, Joel, for us, too. We try to make it, we've got two hours every week, and so we're trying to find that balance between light and heavy, yeah. dark and happy. Yeah. Because it's uh, too much of a good thing is too much of a good thing Yeah, sometime. yeah. So it's probably I like to, really difficult to figure out what to put on an album sometime when you have such a huge catalog to, to draw from. Yeah, it is. And, uh, I mean, for example, here's this record that sat around for 14, 15 years, right? I have other songs that I'm crazy about that folks have never heard either on a record because I haven't put them on a record yet. It's job security. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not that... I'm not that Strategic. Yeah. Well, uh, I was reading today that uh, your father had given you a book with a hundred songs or more in it of yeah. stuff that he had. Yeah, what well, stuff done a that few he wrote. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I have 
Yeah, I treasure that. It's it's all it to hit from his point of view, all the songs that he had written in his lifetime, uh, and uh, he was an he editor. He was an editor on it though, and he left out some songs I wish he hadn't. Hmm. Uh, there's there's at least a half dozen that I remember that aren't in there. Maybe there's a lost notebook somewhere. <laughs> no, he was trying to he was trying to bury them. Yeah. You know, he was trying to make them not see mm. the light of day. Uh, and, um, but I'd say 90%, he, he, he did give me every song that he had written. Well, I've got that, uh, the album, The Weary mm-hmm. Way. Yeah. And there's a song on it called, uh, well, a poem or however you like put the writer. Uh-huh. The yeah, the writer. And I yeah. love that. Uh, the line, thanks to the writer, uh, yeah. there's food for my soul. Yeah, exactly. My dad felt that way. My dad loved Hank Williams, I mean, to a ridiculous level. Uh, uh, he tried to sing like Hank Williams. You know, he had two heroes, Hank Williams and Johnny Cash, which are pretty good heroes to have. And so I grew up with my dad being a fanatic of both guys. And so I would hear those songs as a four-year-old, as a 12-year-old and all that. Those are really good songs and artists to be hearing throughout your entire childhood in terms of a basis for, uh, you know, what a singer-songwriter could be. Uh, it, you know, try to beat Hank Williams. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think we're, we're lucky to... I'm a little bit older than you are, but I think we were lucky to have our parents grow up in, in that era. My dad never bought music or bought records Uh except for one time and Uh that was Johnny Cash's I Walk the Line and I was a kid you know when I when that came out and he brought that 45 home and put it on the record player and it just played over and over again and and he never bought another record in his life than I know of but that's still a striking record it is and and there's so many people that do a cover of that song in their own interpretation of it Mm -hmm. um your song Never Get Out of Harlan Alive Uh I only knew uh, Patty Loveless's version of that. I didn't yeah. know that Brad Paisley had done it. I mean, uh-huh. I knew you had done it, but apparently there's lots of versions of that song out there, and they're all a little different. Of course, everybody puts their own um, takes on the song, but it's great that you don't feel so proprietary of them that you feel... No, not at all. I feel, I mean, songs, is, they have a life of their own, mm-hmm. uh, and they're supposed to, and they're not like, hey, that's my song or that's my version. I, I mean... I hope that somewhere around a campfire tonight that someone is singing You'll Never Leave Harlan Alive or Desperado's Waiting for a Train mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, it doesn't have to be the glory, you know, of, uh, you know, some major named artist. To, I mean, to me, I mean, uh, I remember being in, uh, where were we? Denmark and uh, playing a festival over there. You know, and the festival is, you know, outside of the center of town and I'm in the center of town having lunch or whatever and there's a a a street band playing a song of mine I mean uh, they're playing the hit you know from some Mm -hmm. famous name but it's it's a song I wrote and I'm just sitting there in Denmark thinking wow this is fantastic you know because to me it's not all about you know a famous person singing it it's about anyone singing it Um, from campfire to campfire so to speak Tell you one of the uh, another big thrill of mine. One time I was camping uh, near Chattanooga, just camping, and and a song. Uh, uh, it's a great day to be alive. Mm-hmm. Corey Morrow was the only version of that 
song that I had known uh-huh. before I knew it was your song right. as well. I love that song. Well, that song was a hit, I guess, in country radio, and I'm at this uh, campground, uh, and I'd taken my shower, and I'm just sitting outside of the, you know, the communal KOA-type showers, and there's a woman putting her baby into uh, a car seat, uh, and she's singing uh, to the baby, It's a Great Day to Be Alive, and I am just happened to be in earshot. That's what I'm talking about. So it's not about the famous person. It's about every person or any person. You know what I mean? It's not about the fame. It's about the spreading of songs in the most simple way possible. Do you think that's the universe's way of sending you a, a message of validation that what you're doing is the right thing uh, for you? I would. I thought it was pretty way. good. Yeah. <laughs> I would say, well, that's okay. That seals the deal. I, I am supposed to be a songwriter and writing these songs, because and that they don't that I don't own them once they're out there. Yeah, I know. I'm clearly don't own them now. Definitely, I'd like to be paid. Yeah. Uh, that's. I don't want to confuse that. Yeah. You know, issue per se, but you know, I mean, paid by you know downloads and. Right. And people taking music without paying for yeah, it. Yeah, that's a whole other discussion. That exactly, we go but on that's for. that's not the same as someone singing it at a campground to yeah. me. Yeah, uh, you know, and I I still can't get over that. And and a lot of people have gotten over it, but the idea that you know that people just just take music, you know, and download it from yeah. everywhere. And the truth is, the artist uh, and uh, and the songwriters don't get paid for that, and we're supposed to get paid. I mean, it's what we're doing, just like somebody else doing their job ought to get paid. So it's it's a funny it's a funny subject. One of the mantras that we in in our community radio station that we beat over our listeners' heads is, you know, if you're going to be listening to this music on Spotify or whatever, you if you find out these people are coming to town, yeah, put down the remote. Yeah. And go out and support Absolutely. them in a live venue because a lot of them are making their money directly from the merch sales. Yeah, um, or, or, and these or the shows, gigs. Or the yeah. gigs. And if you're really a fan of this artist, yes. you're not really a fan unless you're going out and supporting them live. That's Yeah, because yeah, in big... essence, that's how they're raising their families. It's that simple. Folks. Yeah, in Kansas City, <laughs> used to be a flyover. We used to be a flyover town, you know, and, and people didn't come here, but that's not the case anymore. I mean, you're going to be playing in a room tonight. I don't know how familiar you are, you are with Knuckleheads as a venue, but Guy Clark has played here. Rodney was just here three weeks ago. John Fulbright, John Moreland, Parker Millsap have all played in that room. You're sure. going to be playing tonight. Yeah. Um, so we're now on the map, and, and people are coming through, and we're so grateful. That I'm they glad are. to be here. I can't imagine why I've been in the traveling music business as I have for this long and have never played Kansas City until tonight. Well, hopefully you'll be back soon. I'd love to be back. I know that you're back. heading down to, te- you're going to Nebraska tomorrow, and then you're going to Texas, I know, and, and I'm, my yeah. family all lives down there, so I'm yeah. giving the heads up that they need to come. Yeah, by all means. down there. I got a question. Yeah. It's a two-part question. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was it like writing with Guy Clark, and also, did you learn anything from writing with Guy Clark? I only wrote with Guy twice. Yeah. Once was when I first met him, uh, so 25 years ago. And then, and we both wrote we we wrote a song that neither of us wanted to ever play again. Set out in the parking lot. No, that song's not that old. No, no, no that's the one we did write together. Okay, that, okay. That <laughs> we please liked. don't tell me it's out in the parking lot. Yeah, okay. no, 
uh, and then the next time we wrote was maybe five, six, eight years later, uh, and we wrote out in the parking lot. Uh, so those are the only two times. Uh, and even though I was close with Guy, I was in his band and helped make, you know, some of those records that, that uh, you know, the four records that I played on and worked on, uh, I never pushed the writing thing with Guy, and he never with me. It was... Uh, uh, I mean, honestly, if, if all we got was out in the parking lot ever, which is the case, uh, that is totally fine. That's, we love that song. He loved it. I love it. Um, and Any song that's got the word puke in it. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. It's all right by me. It gets yeah, away with it. That's right. You know, it's a, it's a great song. Guy probably had all kinds of tricks for songwriting to yeah, kickstart the muse, you know. Yeah, sometimes he would call them tricks, you know. Um, uh, well, here's while we were working on uh, out in the parking lot, mm -hmm. he had the lyrics almost like 80, 90 percent of those lyrics had already been written before I walked into the room. And he'd showed the song to at least two or three other writers, and it never kind of went where he wanted it or felt it should go. And so he'd always pull the song back and then show it to somebody else a few weeks or months later, whatever. So he showed it to me one day, and, and we're sitting around in his table, and it's not going anywhere. And then out of nowhere he said, uh, how would Bruce Springsteen do this? And then uh, it clicked something in my head, and the next thing I played was the intro and the melody to uh, Out in the Parking Lot. Because uh, I was sort of, I, when he said, How, what would Springsteen do, I, I immediately thought of Springsteen's um, Racing in the mm -hmm. Streets. Racing in the Streets. And, and uh, I don't think, you know, you'll find Racing in the Streets and Out in the Parking Lot as, as in terms of, you know, that I stole it or copied like it. Like a quid pro quo or whatever. Yeah, but that's, that's where my brain went was racing in the streets, and out came, you know, the intro and the melody uh, for those verses, like, right now. And, uh, and I sang it, like, right now to him, you know. He says, that's it. And then we started, now we knew what the song's melody and chords were. And so then we started carving around over the next two days on it, and, and then we came out with Out in the Parking Lot. Thank you so much for your time tonight. I don't want to... Impose into the showtime yeah, and all because yeah. I know probably people are waiting for you. But well, thank you, thank, thank you. you so much for thanks for your support. What you do in community thank radio you. and absolutely art, anytime you, know. you want to come to KC, man, we'll be here to support. I you. will be back. I promise. This is my first time, not my last time. Sitting on the fender of someone else's truck. Drinking old crow whiskey, hot seven up, out in the parking lot. And you can hear the band playing right through the wall, and there ain't no cover charge, ain't no last call out in the parking lot. Now there's a couple of cowpokes putting up their dukes. There wasn't much to it 
After both of them puked out in the parking lot Someone called the police And the police finally came And they wrote him a couple of tickets And took a couple of names out in the parking lot Well I love to see the neon Dancing on the gravel I love to hear the pickup trucks Come unravel Some have given up Some have given in Looks like everybody's looking for a friend Out in the parking lot There's a couple who could not wait to get home oh, They're probably in love So let's leave them alone Out in the parking lot And the band is on the bus They're all loaded up to leave And the drummer's got a girlfriend Tugging on his sleeve out in the parking lot I love to see the neon Dancing on the gravel I love to hear the pickup trucks Come on and rattle Some have given up Some have given in like everybody's looking for a friend out in the parking lot. Everybody's gone They have shot out all the lights And the dust begins to settle And it's never been so quiet Out in the parking lot